But this spring as well, uh, my daughter Mariah, uh, who's a, a freshman here at the school, and a lot of our, a lot of kids actually who uh, come here to K2, participated, participated in Guys and Dolls, the musical. And uh, yeah, and it was so fun for me, right? All of you who have kids, I mean, you watch your kids grow up and, and they start to discover who they are and what they can do. And I, I just, for me, to be able to watch my daughter just flying around on the stage, dancing and singing and acting was so cool to, to see, I really believe, God uh, beginning to show her who he's made her to be. But it's interesting because many of you don't know this. I haven't shared this story in quite a while. But uh, when Mariah was born, they immediately took her and they took her off to the side. And, uh, and I, they called me over as the dad. And they said, hey, we just want to let you know that your daughter has a birthmark. Um, now, you can't actually see it. And I couldn't. I couldn't see anything on there. But they said, but it's going to continue to grow. And so I just wanted you to be aware of that. And sure enough... It was crazy. Very slowly, every day, this birthmark would grow on her face to the point where it covered up uh, the large, at least half of, of this side of her cheek. And it was a bright, dark red. And, but also, it wasn't just growing on the outside, it was growing on the inside. She kind of, even as a little baby, it looked like she had a uh, tennis ball kind of underneath her cheek. It was all puffed out. Well, our pediatrician during the time just told us, they were like, hey, you don't need to worry about this. This is, you know, this happens. Um, if you want to, when she gets older, if you want to do some surgery, um, things like that, you, you can do that. So we just followed their advice and believed that nothing was really happening. About two and a half months in, uh, Sharon Tice was a friend of ours, and she went to our church, and she was a pediatrician. And so she asked us, she said, so what are they telling you about that birthmark? And we said, well, that it's not a really big deal. It's, you know, there's no real damage happening. And if we want to, we can do surgery later. And she said, um, if I was you, she goes, I'd get a second opinion. She goes, I think you need to have that thing checked out. So we said, well, okay, what do you want us to do? And she goes, well, I'll set up an appointment with a pediatric ophthalmologist for you. And so we took her in, and I want to tell you, this was so hard. Mariah's three months old, right? She's this big. They have to knock her out, which was scary enough, put her in the little MRI machine, or the big MRI machine, right? And watch your little baby go in there. Well, sure enough, what this was, it's called a hemangioma. Maybe some of you know what that is. But they're like arteries that just grow out of control. And they weren't just growing out of control on her face. They were growing inward as well. And they had begun to wrap themselves around her optic nerve. And the doctor looked at us and he said, if you don't do something immediately, she will go blind. So <clears throat> here's what's interesting, right? There was definitely a symptom. We could see something that wasn't right. Um, but we were told, don't worry about it. Everything is okay. There's not anything really wrong. And then... Thankfully, Sharon Tice said, I think you need to check that out. And we found out the truth. And here's what I'm saying, is if we hadn't found out the truth about Mariah's hemangioma, she wasn't dancing on this stage. She would never have been able to be freely use all the gifts that she had given her to dance uh, on that save. And so when we look at this, this, this reality that we're looking at today is that there are symptoms that things aren't right. And lots of times we're told, hey, that's okay. It's pretty normal. But is there something deeper going on? 
So we're in this series called Imagine Heaven. If you're visiting with us, we're actually in our fifth week, okay? So you've kind of come in right in the middle, a little bit more in the middle of that. And I don't know about you, but hasn't it been fun, you guys, to look at what heaven's going to be like? I mean, it's just been unbelievable. The relationship stuff, the beauty that it's going to be, the perfection, the glory, it's awesome. And so today, we're going to talk about hell. And some of you are like, are you kidding? I brought my friend for the first time. Some of you are going, are you kidding? I haven't been to church in forever, and I show up, and this is what you're going to talk about? Uh, last week, right, we had Dave Wilson. How many of you guys appreciated Dave last week? Wasn't he amazing? Man. You know, what, what I love about Dave, too, is he's so stinking funny, right? And all I could think of was, what was I thinking? I should have had the guest guy who's funny speak about hell, what? right? <laughs> Let him speak and then take off. Well, here, here's the deal. This topic, it is. It's a, it can be, it's a painful topic. For many people, this is what, why people can't actually believe in Christianity. And you know, and sometimes you'll see street preachers, right? And they got their signs and they're, it's almost like they're, they're finding joy in telling people they're going to go to hell, you know? And, and I just want to say, man, anybody who has that heart has nothing to do with Jesus. I'm going to say that as boldly as I can. If you ever, that is a religious person who somehow thinks there's anything. I, with the heart of God inside you, you do nothing but weep over this topic. But so why are we going to talk about it? <laughs> If we're in the series of heaven, why are we going to talk about this? Well, because what we've been thinking about heaven is we want to talk about the one who actually has been there. Who knows? And Jesus talked about this reality of hell more than anybody else. If we're going to believe what he says, then we have to talk about this issue. And there's nobody on this planet who's more loving, more compassionate, completely selfless person than ever lived than Jesus Christ. And so the key with that is he's loving and he's selfless. And I think that's why he told us about the reality after we die. Now, um, I'm going to show you a video clip here real quick. How many of you know uh, Penn Gillette? How many of you know that name? Okay, okay, quite a few of you. If you don't, he's a major entertainer uh, down in Vegas. Really, really well known. But he's also a very avowed uh, atheist. Point blank makes it very clear that he's an atheist. And when I first watched this video, I can't think of anybody else who can say it better why we actually need to talk about hell and church than this guy. Okay, watch this. I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we, uh, we talk to folks and, you know, sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on and there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position after I was all done big guy probably about my age big guy and um, he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. Uh, so we had the props from that in his hand because we give those away. He had the you know, the joke book and the and the envelope and the paper and stuff. If you haven't seen the live show, I, uh, it's not worth explaining. But he had props from the show that we'd given him from the night before. Uh, he wasn't the guy that night, and he walked over to me and he said. Um, I was here last night at the show, and uh, 
uh, I saw the show and I liked it. I wanted, and he was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it. He said nice stuff. And then he said, I brought this for you. And he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition. Um, I thought it said from the New Testament, but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament, right? Or, uh, Psalms from the New, just part of the New Testament. Little book about this big, this thick, you know. He said, I wrote in the front of it, and I wanted you to have this. I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. And then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And... Uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice insane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me and then gave me this Bible. And I've always said, you know, that I, I don't respect people who don't proselytize. I don't respect that at all. If you believe that there's a heaven and hell and people could be going to hell or not getting eternal life or whatever, and you think that, uh, well, it's not really worth telling them this because it would make it socially awkward. And atheists who think that people shouldn't proselytize, just leave me alone, keep your religion to yourself. Uh, how much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. But this guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on. And then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say. Isn't that cool? I love that. I've shown that here before. Every time I watch it, it just encourages me. If you really believe this, how much do you have to hate somebody? And so here's what's cool. We don't hate you, right? We, we, we love you. 
And God doesn't hate you, man. He, Jesus doesn't hate you. He loves you. Sharon Tice coming to us and saying, do you guys know really what's going on with that thing? If she hadn't spoken to us, we would have never understood the reality of what was happening to my daughter, and she could never have been up here dancing someday. See, this is, this is what it's about. So Jesus said this. He goes, in fact, the reason I was born and that I came into the world is to testify to the truth. So Jesus is going, hey, the whole reason I showed up is because I love you. I want to make sure you know. I'm going to proselytize. I'm going to make sure you know there's a truck bearing down. But Jesus didn't just tell us that. He did throw himself in front of the truck to rescue us and to save us. So why is it that we struggle so much, almost all of us, with believing in hell? Well, another thing that Jesus told us is that we have an enemy. And that enemy is seeking to steal, kill, and destroy. So there is a spiritual battle going on. And Jesus revealed that. There is somebody who does want to destroy you. Yes, and, but what's interesting, this enemy doesn't just keep his mouth shut about heaven and hell. He lies to us incessantly. He never stops. He says, there's no truck coming while he knows one is bearing down. And this is what Jesus said about him in John chapter 8. He was a murderer. He's a murderer from the beginning. That's how he feels about you. He's not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. So Jesus says, I came to testify to the truth. He has no truth. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and he's the father of all lies. Now, why would Satan want to lie to us about hell? Well, first of all, because he wants people who don't believe to reject Christ with no fear. Right? To, to actually believe that you can completely reject Jesus Christ and have no qualm about that. That's what he wants. Secondly, he wants Christians to be unmotivated to share Christ. And I think many times Christians sit there and they go, you know what, I just, I don't want to believe this. And so we kind of almost convince ourselves in ways to not think that it's really going to happen. And then we feel no need to share with anybody. And I believe that the enemy wants God to receive less glory for the radical nature of Christ's redemptive work. He doesn't want God to get glory through what Jesus did. But I, I just got to tell you, why, why did Jesus, why would he come to save us if everybody was fine? You don't jump, you don't come to earth and then offer yourself on the cross and experience a gruesome crucifixion death because everybody's good. So from his perspective, coming from the eternal realm, breaking into earth, he's saying, I want to tell you what's really true. And I love what Rick Warren said. He goes, everybody is betting their life on something. Okay, this is just true. All of us in this room, all of us are betting our life on something. If you're like Penn and you're an atheist, you're betting your life that there is no God. And then when you die, it's just done. And that's your bet. And this was crazy. You have total freedom to do that. God gave us freedom. There's lots of different religions. And some of you may be betting your life on that there's a power or a force or something out there, not a God who's personal. And I just want to tell you, obviously here at K2 and for me and all of us here, I'm betting my life that Jesus is real. That's all. I'm betting my life that he is who he said he was, that he came to save the world. Not to condemn it, which we'll talk about, but to save the world. And I'm betting my life that he's not a liar. That's all. So we're going to look and see what he has to say. So let me just say this again. God does not hate you. 
with this message. He loves you. We don't hate you. We love you. All right? So before I jump in, let's pray. And let's give each one of us a... Let's just take a moment and prepare our hearts to hear what, what Jesus has to say to us today. God, I do praise you that you did not leave us alone to wonder what happens once we die. You came to reveal to us we could have never figured out what's going to happen after this world. But Jesus, through your resurrection, you have shown us there is a life after this. And you testified and taught us things. But I know right now, the only way that we'll grasp this is if you give us grace to hear it. Would you just come this morning, turn your light on, and help us to understand. And I pray for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's jump in and see what he has to say. Luke chapter 13, verse 22. It says, Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And he said to them, okay, now listen, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, when time is done, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, and this is really important for later, what's he going to say on that day? I don't know you or where you come from. And then you will say, but we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. And he will reply again, I don't know you or where you come from, away from me, all you evildoers. And then Jesus says, there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves thrown out. Now here's the good news. People will come from east and west and north and south and take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. People are going to come. That's everybody from all over the world. Anybody can come to this feast. Indeed, there are those who are lost, who are last, I'm sorry, who will be first and first who will be last. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus, uh, it's another great uh, place where he just talked about when, when the Son of Man comes in his glory with the angels and all of time is finally wrapped up. He said when that comes, and then verse 34 he says, then the king, right, there's a kingdom, there's somebody who actually rules, this is God, will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. He says, those are the sheep. He separated. There's sheep and there's goats. The sheep will be blessed. And then he says in verse 41, Then he will say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire. Listen, and this is prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, I'll get to that in a second. Here's Peter. Okay, so that's Jesus. Just letting us know. This is real. And there's many more verses. But here's what Peter says. The, his main apostles started the church. He says, If God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment, if this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue 
the godly from trials and to hold the unrighteous for punishment on the day of judgment. This is especially true of those, and we'll get to this in just a second too, especially true of those who, one, follow the corrupt desire of the flesh and despise authority. So, what is hell? Okay? The Bible teaches us that way back in eternity, this was before our realm was even created, before there was even time, in this other realm where we're headed into eternity, God created eternal spiritual beings called angels. And these angels were supposed to love and serve God. But God gave angels free will. Why? Because love is not love if it's freely chosen. In other words, if I could somehow program you, right, to make you love me, there's no love in that. That's not love. The only way you can have love is if there actually is free choice. And so what we learn is in the midst of this ability to have free choice, Satan, this, this main angel, the light bearer, the most beautiful angel, wanted to eventually to rule. And so what we understand is, so he and a third of all the angels rejected and rebelled against God. They didn't want to follow him. They didn't want to love and serve God. They didn't want to be with God. They wanted to rule apart from God. Now here's what's interesting. The Bible says that God is love. Right? He's perfect and everything. He loves. So everything God does is love. He can't act outside of this. And so in love, He gave these rebellious angels what they wanted. And so, he created a place called hell. And it is where they wouldn't have to love God or serve him. They wouldn't have to be with him. And it was a place where they could rule apart from him. So God creates this place. Because in heaven, guess what? Heaven is the place where people love God and where they follow him. And if you don't want to love God and don't want follow him, God said, okay, I'm going to prepare a place for you where you get to do what you want. Isn't that amazing? You don't want to be with me. You don't want to follow me. You want to rule on your own. Great. Here you go. It's hell. And it becomes this horrific place. Now, here's what Jesus said. When we talk about what is heaven... He says, I don't know. He, he goes, when people want to, at the end times, he goes, people don't get in because Jesus says, I don't know you. And then Peter said, the unrighteous follow the corrupt desires of their flesh and despise authority. Now, now what is this? So, so let's go back. Let's go back a few weeks, right? When we explain what heaven is. Okay. What is heaven going to be? It is, first of all, Jesus said this. He goes, this is eternal life that you know the one true God and Jesus whom he sent. Eternal life is knowing God. That's what it is. It is intimacy. It's being in his presence. In fact, the Bible says right now, we only know in part, but after you die, it's going to be so intimate with God that it's like he's face to face. It's going to be so close. And he goes, God is so good, and he loves you so much that once you get to heaven, I know sometimes you can't feel him. Sometimes you wonder if he loves you. Oh, man, when you see him face to face, you're going to know it, and that's going to be heaven. Secondly, he said that heaven is the kingdom of God. You guys remember this in the prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, that's where he is, 
Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So what's heaven? It's the kingdom of God. It's where God's will is done perfectly. That's what's going to be the blessing. Everything that God is is right and beautiful. And finally, we're going to get to heaven, and it's going to be a place where people willingly and freely follow God. So here's what we need to understand. This is so important. What we don't understand that hell, you guys, is in essence relational. It's simply being separated from God. And heaven is relational. It's being intimate and close with God. But see, we don't get that because we've been duped into believing, and we think this. We think good people go to heaven and bad people go to hell. Right? But that's not what the Bible says. No, it says we are relationship being. The, the ticket, which Dave talked about last week, isn't trying to be good enough to prove that you get to heaven or not being good enough that you go to hell. That has nothing to do with that. It's whether you are in relationship with God through Jesus Christ. That's what eternal life is. And so God has given every one of us a free will because it's all about love. So here's your question this morning. Do you want to be in relationship with God? Yes. Do you want to love Him? Do you want to be loved by Him? Do you willfully and freely want to do what God wants, to, wants you to do? See, but today, what we find is most people in, our, in the world today say, you know what? God, I don't really want you. I want to be separate from you. I want to do what I want to do. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I don't want to trust you. I actually want my life to be separate from you. And when it comes to your ways, God, I think your ways are crazy. I think they're wrong. So not only do I not believe them, I actually don't want to follow them. So, what Peter said was, that hell is going to be a place, remember he said, especially for those who do two things. Number one, those who follow the flesh. So what does that mean? It's, a, it's an interesting term in the Bible. The flesh literally means this human nature that lives for ourselves more than God. Now check this out. Do you live for God with all your being or do you live for yourself? And what the Bible says, if you follow your flesh, which the other means, ever, whatever satisfies me, right? Whatever makes me feel good. We hear this all the time. Whatever is right for you, do that. Well, God says, that's what hell is. Hell is actually the place where everybody gets to do whatever they want to do, and they don't have to follow me. And that's the second thing, right? Peter said, hell is the place for those who despise authority. Well, what does that mean? It means I don't want anybody else telling me what to do with my life. <laughs> I want to be the final authority on what I do. And God says, okay, if you want to say, leave me alone, you want to decide what is right and wrong, then God simply says, okay, I'll totally let you do that. And that's called hell. Now, some of us then go, I can't believe that there would be a God who wouldn't let me into heaven. See, but really what God is saying is, that's not how this works. It's not that I won't allow anybody into heaven. You actually choose not to be with me, and I'm honoring your decision. If you don't want me now, 
believe me, you're not going to want me then. <laughs> if you want to be separate from me now, heaven, I'm going to be right here in your face, baby. <laughs> you will not like that. If you want to do all your own thing today, you're going to get into heaven, and it's only what, what I say. And, then, and then some of you are like, yeah, that, you're right, I don't want that. Two, there's two types of people once life is over here on earth. There are those who say to God, your will be done, and you enter into heaven. And there's those to whom God says, your will be done. And you choose, and you end up separated from God, which was your desire, and it ends up being hell. So, heaven is eternal life with God for people who want relationship with God. And hell is eternal separation from God for people who don't want relationship with God. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful. They got what they wanted, rebels to the end. Now listen to this, that the doors of hell are locked from the inside. See, some, some of us think that God's up there throwing people to hell and then locking the door on them. But the, just the opposite is true. See, sometimes we can think, it, let me give me another picture. So maybe you're like, if you feel like, man, I'm looking for God and I wish, so, and I can't find, it's like God's in this building. And you're searching for God, or maybe you're not, right? And you're walking around, and you can't, you just wish somebody would show you the door so you could find God. And I heard Erwin McManus say, pastor in California, he said, that's not actually how it works. The truth is, you're inside the building. And God is seeking after you. He's the one who wants relationship with you. And when he knocks on the door of your heart, we deadbolted. See, guys, hell is locked from the inside. It's the people saying, I don't want God. Because here's what I can tell you. He wants you. He wants every one of you. He would come and die and sacrifice his life just so he could be with you. This isn't a God issue. This is our, our issue. Now, that is what the Bible teaches. That's what Jesus teaches. There is an eternity. There's two opportunities to be with him or to not be with him. Now, here's what I know. In our culture, many people struggle just to believe the Bible. And so, my buddy John Burke wrote this book. Burke? Burke wrote a book. He wrote a book called Imagine Heaven. Because when John denied God and didn't want him in his life, his dad was dying of cancer, and somebody gave him a book on near-death experiences. So he read this book, and he thought, and I would encourage you all to have the same thought, if this is possibly true, then this is the most important decision I will ever make. And it is. Because you know you're going to die. This is the most important decision. God used that to help John come as a skeptical engineer to put his faith in Christ. Now, so what he did is he studied over a thousand near-death experiences, and he also found doctors, skeptical doctors, who had patients, who had these experiences, who had stuff that when they came back from, from death and came back to life, there were things that happened that there, there, there's, they said there's no possible way except that there must be a realm outside of this. So they studied it and they've written it. 
And so, what I've had many people say, it's like, and we talked, we've had three great weeks, people say, so are all near-death experiences positive then? Does everybody go to heaven? It's interesting, there were 12 different studies that involved 1,369 people who had had near-death experiences, and what they found is that 23% actually reported near-death experiences that ranged from disturbing to terrifying or despairing. Now, I'm going to show you a video. There's nothing, it's just an interview, but it's kind of, it's not kind of intense. It's intense, okay? In fact, some of you who may have smaller children, it's just, they're not going to see anything. It's not inappropriate, but it's intense. And I just want to offer that option to you. I think we had a couple people who just stepped out with their kids for a moment, if you have small kids in here, okay? But this is really important, I think, for us to hear, because if you don't want to believe that Jesus is telling us the truth, what about an atheist professor? What about a guy who didn't believe, he thought this whole afterlife stuff was a big fairy tale, who died and had an experience that changed him forever, okay? Let's watch this. I had known from some time in that afternoon that I was dying. Um, I knew absolutely, but I didn't want to die because I was an atheist and I was, um, I knew that uh, I was terrified of it because dying means the end of everything. I was a 38-year-old college professor. Um, my work was shown in some museums, you know, I'd won some prizes, you know, and a wife and two kids and, you know, a career and, and I, you know, one of the thoughts that kept going through, how could this happen? How can this possibly happen? It's not supposed to happen. Mm. And I went unconscious. I awoke from that. And I felt wonderful. Unlike I'd ever felt in my entire life. Wait, so you knew you died and suddenly you felt great? Well, I didn't know I'd died. I just, I'd been unconscious and now I feel great. You know? And where were you? Standing next to the bed, upright, and I, the first thing, I was like, why do I feel so good? I just felt the worst I'd ever felt in my entire life. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't breathe, and now I'm like Superman. <laughs> and my eyesight, my hearing, my taste, my smell, and I'm, and I'm thinking about my senses, and I can... So you still don't know you're dead? No. And you feel alive? You feel I feel good? more alive than I've ever felt in my entire life. And... Uh, I heard people calling me um, in English kind of nicely, you know, Howard, Howard, come here, come here. So I go over to the doorway of the room and in the hallway is gray. It's um, very unclear, like a terrible black and white TV picture. And there's men and women standing far away from the light of the doorway. And I said, I'm sick, I need to have surgery. I've been waiting all day for a doctor. Um, and they said, we know all about you. Hurry, come with us now. We can't wait any longer. Come, come, hurry. As we went, it got darker and darker, and they came in closer and closer, and more and more of them were around me. And now, as I asked them questions like, where are we going, how much further, things like that, they started to become more rude and say things to me like, shut up. Don't ask questions. You'll find out. You don't need to know. Keep moving. Keep moving. Move it. You know, like that. And I'm like, getting pretty intimidated. That becomes fear. That becomes terror. 
And what they were doing was just playing with me, toying with me. Um, and at first it was pushing, kicking, pulling, hitting. And then that became biting and tearing with their fingernails and hands. And they were taking pieces of me. And there was a lot of laughter, a lot of very foul language. And then they became more invasive. And I don't ever go further with this because it was so demeaning. I mean, I don't talk about it any further. And in that place, I heard a voice which I identify as my voice, except that it did not come out of my throat, off my lips. But I do feel, I, it's strange, but I feel like it came out of my chest. This voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't believe in God. I don't pray. The voice said, pray to God. And I thought, I don't even know how to pray. I couldn't pray if I wanted to pray. The voice said, pray to God. But you, so, you couldn't find one at that Well, point? I, I found the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, <laughs> and then I found later, I found, um, yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I'll fear no evil. Um, stuff like that. And uh, our Father who art in heaven. I remember like these phrases out of prayers. And I start to mutter this stuff, and the people around me absolutely can't bear it. Now, this made me want to pray more because for the first time I was able to hit back at them. The prayers were like clobbering them. This is the horrible part um, that the people that had met me were my kindred spirit. Now, I do not know if I knew any of those people in this world prior to this experience. That's not what I'm trying to say. They were my brothers and sisters in spirit. What do you mean by that? They denied God. They lived for themselves. And their lives were about manipulation and control of other people. As a son to my mother and father, I had failed them. My father and I had no relationship. And my poor mother, um, because my, my dad and I not speaking to each other, she was, um, you know, we couldn't have any much of a relationship. I hardly ever saw her. I had very poor relationship with my sisters. Um, I had not been a good husband to my wife, and you can use your imagination to figure out what that means. Um, but it's, that's true. That's all true. Um, I had not been the father to my kids that I should have been, and I knew I hadn't because I was busy. I was trying to be somebody, mm. you know, like the football games and the band concerts and the choral concerts and the theater performances. That could all wait because I was busy being important. Mm. I was doing stuff, making myself into somebody in that this memory comes of myself as a little boy sitting in a Sunday school classroom singing Jesus Loves Me. Why would he care? He must hate me. I'm so sorry. And I thought, enough of this. I'm done. I don't have anything else. Jesus, please save me. And when I said that, I saw a light. 
tiny little speck of light and it very rapidly got very bright and came over me and I saw out of the light hands and arms emerge out of this impossibly beautiful white light and these hands and arms came out and they reached down and they touched me and when they touched me um, in that light I could see me and all the gore and I was roadkill all that gore began to just dissolve and I became whole and much more significantly to me than was the physical healing was that I was experiencing a love that is beyond, far beyond words. If I've, I, I've never been able to articulate it, but I can say that if I took all my experience of love in my entire life and could condense it into a moment, it still wouldn't begin to measure up to the intensity of this love that I was feeling. You know, when those arms went on me and healed me, they went behind my back and he picked me up as if it was no effort on his part. He just gently picked me up and held me up against him real tight up against his chest. So there I am with my arms around him, his arms around me, and I am bawling like a baby and I am slobbering and snotting and drooling with my head buried in his chest and he starts to rub my back like he wasn't saying there there but it was just like like a mom or a dad with a child and I knew I don't I don't know how I knew but I knew that he loved me very much just the way I was later in this experience, we did a life review, and he made perfectly clear, clear what he did not like, and I can safely say despised, hated, mm. detested about my, what I had done with my life, but he always loved me. Now, <clears throat> we've said this every week, that we're not basing our complete theology about what we believe in the afterlife on these near-death experiences, but you have to question what would cause a successful professor, atheist, to do a 180 after flatlining, except some sort of experience, and this is his story. And here's what we know. It's like Jesus told us that part of it's going to be weeping. It is going to be gnashing of teeth. It is, it is going to be a horrific experience. And what this guy said, what was so interesting to me, is that the people there were my kindred spirit. Which means what? They denied God, they lived for themselves, and they manipulated and controlled others. And what Peter said was, that's what hell is. It's people who follow their flesh, who do what they want to do. And imagine with me, a situation and where they despise authority. Imagine a place where there is no authority and every person does whatever they want to do to make themselves feel good. And some of you have experienced that right here, hell on earth. And that's what this is all about. But did you guys hear what he said at the end? Did you hear what he said? He just as I was. This is the key. And I want to tell you right now, God 
This is the truth, you guys. God loves us like no other. Again, he is not the one saying, I don't want you. He's the one giving his life to have you. He's the one knocking on every single one of your doors, of your heart. And that's why in John 3 it says, God so loved the world. He loved you that he gave his one and only son that whoever, whoever, right? East, west, north, south, they're all going to be there. Whoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. For God, and this is such an important verse, for God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world. He's not trying to condemn you. He sent his son into the world to save the world. You know what it is, you guys? God wants you to dance. God wants you to dance. Now and forever. And so he sends goofy people from Michigan to start churches. He just, he, he sends every one of us who found this to let you know the symptom that you see on your face. It's not okay. There's something deeper in your soul that's causing you to say, I don't want to follow God. In fact, I can't follow God. I don't want him in my life. I want to do my own thing. And that is what keeps you separated from God. And if your heart stays that way, then yes, you won't be able to dance. And you'll stay blind. And Jesus loves you too much for that. He wants to be with you. He says, I know you're going to sin against me. And that's why I want to forgive you. I know you can't follow me. That's why I want to give you a new heart. All of salvation, you guys, is a gift that God gives. He's not asking you to try to be better. He's not trying to say, be more religious and do enough. He's saying, no, I love you just as you are. And I'm going to read for you my favorite scripture in all of the Bible. Here's what God wants to say to every one of us this morning. You see, at just the right time, when we were powerless, which means you could do nothing for God, Christ died for the ungodly. He didn't say, I didn't say, get cleaned up and then I'll come for you. He says, no, when you are nothing like me, that's when I love you. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But listen to this. But God demonstrates his own love in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. Is that not amazing? It's the greatest news in all the world. It's the greatest news in all the world. Now, I don't know what you're betting your life on. I don't know what you're betting your life on. I'm betting my life on Jesus who came, lived a perfect, sinless life, loved every human being, died on the cross to pay the punishment for my sins so I could be forgiven, who rose again from the dead and let me know there's something beyond this world and he wants me to be with him. I don't know what you're basing your life on. That's what I'm basing mine on. If you want to base it on Christ, he is ready. He's ready today to give you eternal life. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. So I'm just going to let you know, as the band comes up, I'm going to give you that chance. God, I'm just so grateful that one day, it's fun, my, my dad's here, you know, and was, I remember sitting in our United Methodist Church and somebody gave me the chance 
to say, do you want to receive forgiveness and do you want to believe in Christ so that you can have eternal life? So that you can totally have your sin taken away and reconciled. And I remember giving that chance and going, yes, yes, I do. And oh my goodness, you will never be the same again. And here's what's cool. I know, I believe with all my heart when I die, I'm going to face God. And it's not going to be based on how good I was. Thank you, Jesus. It's going to be based on what he did for me. And I'm going to be with him forever. And Jesus said, there's two options. Do you want to be in relationship with me? Do you want me now? Because believe me, if you don't want me now, you are not going to want me then. And you can either tend spend eternity with me, or you can spend eternity separate from me. It's your choice, not God's. It's your choice. So, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus. Thanks for revealing to us there's no way we could ever know why we're here. What is this all about? Thank you for coming and showing us that we were created for relationship with you. That's why we need to be loved. Because we were made to be loved. Thank you, Jesus, for coming and testifying to the truth. Thanks for letting us know. Thanks for throwing yourself in front of the truck. Thanks for saving us. And God, I pray for every heart right now in this room that you may be speaking to and saying, I love you. Will you believe in me? Will you unlock the door and let me in? God, I pray right now that you'd move in that. And just like last week when we had about 50 people stand up, I just feel like I, I could, it would be so remiss of me to leave this day and not give you that chance. If any of you in this room are today saying, I don't want, I want to be on the highway to heaven. I want to be in a relationship with God, but I'm going to need Jesus to change me to be able to do that. If any of you want to receive and put your faith in Christ, would you just go ahead and stand because I want to pray for you. If anybody today would want to put your faith in Christ and receive your faith, so go ahead and stand so that we can pray for you. This is, man, this is the most important decision that you'll ever make in your life, okay? So I'm going to pray. If anybody else wants to stand while I'm praying, go for it. Jesus, thank you for hope of heaven. Thank you for the reality that we can have all of our sin forgiven, that you can give us a new heart so that we'll actually want to know you. We'll want you in our life. We don't want to be separate from you anymore. Thank you that you're the one who gifts us with that. You're the one who changes us that. You're the one who gives us eternal life. And I pray for every person who's standing right now that you would help them to know by their declaration to stand, you forgive them of everything they've ever done. Completely forgive them. And you give them a new heart that when they see you in heaven, man, they are going to be so grateful because they're going to want to know you face to face. And they're going to follow you every day into eternity. God bless him with that absolute assurance in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, everybody else stand. Let's stand together. So, man, we're going to close out. The team here has a great set of... Now, let me just tell you, we're not just singing songs here, man. They've chosen some great stuff. God gave us this gift of music, of worship, that our hearts can connect with God when we do this. 
And we're going to sing a couple songs about the reality that we can be forgiven. So let's celebrate and worship the fact that we can be forgiven. Our team's going to take our offering. We do this every Sunday just for those of us who've received this great gift. Man, we just love God so much, we just want to give back to Him. So if that's you, participate in the offering, and let's worship this great God who forgives us of everything and offers us eternal life. Let's do it.